0: Aloha unconventional friends, how are you today? Welcome to the unconventional professor podcast, this is another episode with your professor Loredana Padurian, I'm very excited to have you here, I've seen so many of you listening and I have to say I am shocked, I don't know why would somebody listen, I recently listened to my own voice on the podcast and I was like ugh, and then somebody... Very, very sweet. He said, you have quite an accent. I was like, yep, I definitely do. So what will be the topic for today? I have an amazing speaker, another one of my students. Stand by for a very, very interesting and emotional interview with Ranjini Pushpa. She comes from India. She's a student at ASB. And you might want to ask, why do I keep interviewing students? And why don't I bring people who already have you know, relevant success in life. And the truth is the majority of the podcasts that I listen have people who somehow made it one way or another, whatever that means. I don't know what making it means. But what I'm really interested in, I'm interested in learning from people that are at the beginning of their, you know, life that are still excited that they have a lot of, you know, dreams and visions and they have a a path forward. And I want to talk to these people. And I think these are the people we need to listen to. Maybe we can relate more to these people. Maybe we can better understand how do we um, fit in this whole, you know, life thing. So yeah, stand by for another, I think, amazing interview with one of my extraordinary, uh, highly unconventional students. But before we go to the interview, I want to tell you what I like. And before I do that, I want to start by sharing with you what um, what do I pray for? I don't know if you guys pray for something or if you're religious. Mm-hmm. I'm not religious, but I do talk to God every morning and I tell her, yeah, I think God is a woman. And I knew this before Ariana Grande said that God is a woman, but I tell her, God, I know you're a very busy girl and I don't have a lot of ask of you. The only thing that I ask is you protect me. From stupid people because everything else I think I can do myself so that's my prayer it's a simple prayer dear God protect me from idiots because everything else I can do myself how's that or maybe I'm the idiot and I need to be protected from other people I can see that I think you heard me say this a lot the job is easy the people are not and the truth is we are not easy because we are individuals with individual you know, DNA and, and personalities and perspectives and cultures and backgrounds and philosophies and all this. I actually talk about this in my class, about managing complexity. One of the smart skills that I talk about this is managing diversity. But I do think that we are very complicated people and we are creating a lot of more complexities than needed. So... Why do I talk about this at the beginning of the segment? I like what I like. Well, because I want to tell you how much I like Star Trek, but I want to tell you why. I think a lot of you know that I'm a huge Trekkie. I I love Star Trek. I just finished last night rewatching for the 27th time one of the Star Trek series. Unfortunately, I think there's only five or six series and I keep rewatching them over and over and over again. But the truth is, The reason why I love Star Trek, and by the way, it's very different than Star Wars, is Star Trek is highly utopian. In Star Trek, the job is easy, the people are easy. It seems to be that somehow we manage to overcome personal conflicts. We manage to enhance our humanity and not just our, you know, artificial intelligence tools. It seems that um, there's less pettiness, there's less Uh, conflict there's last wars or at least um, at least the humans in the universe of Star Trek have overcome that and um, when I listen to why other people including very very famous people why do they watch Star Trek and this space is for the same reason it feels that we have a hope there is, an, uh, the, uh, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and it's not just another train coming forward. So, having said that, the new the new Star Trek Discovery, I think, it's very different than this. It's extremely, extremely violent and very aggressive, and I have a hard time understanding the direction of the show, but, you know, who am I to, to critic? Well, I just realized who I am. I am the unconventional professor. I can do whatever the hell I want. This is my podcast, and I only have... 35 listeners so we can do whatever we want right guys but yeah that's that's the reason why i like star trek it's because i feel like the daily struggles that we have related to the job is easy the people are not and once again let me just say i am one of those people who don't make your life easy but somehow in this utopian um, universe this we managed to 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 get over these challenges somehow god listened and she helped us become better people Recently, I had to give a talk about artificial intelligence, which is so ironic, considering that I I know very little about sharp skills, about technology. But somebody asked me if I'm afraid of, you know, the enhancement of artificial intelligence. And the truth is, I welcome it. I can't wait for, for, for more machine learning, for more AI tools to be present in our everyday life. And maybe, If we have that, we will have dramatically less stress and office tensions and politics and conflicts with each other. And I I said, I remember saying this in my talk, that I hope that enhanced artificial intelligence will enhance our humanity and make us better people. So yeah, that's what I like today. I like Star Trek. I like a utopian universe. I like a universe where we are all better people. I am better people. And God, this amazing girl who made us all, listens and gives back. Tell me, what do you pray for? Seriously or not? I'm excited to hear that. I'm actually pretty interested to hear this. All right. Without further ado, I am happy to introduce the next segment. On our five on five today, we have Ranjini Pushpa, She, I think, also is somebody who believes that God is a woman one way or another. She's going to talk about a very interesting journey that she had in life. She's going to talk about the value of education. She's going to talk about the quality. And she's going to talk about what it's like to be highly unconventional in a very conventional society. Stand by for 5 on 5 with Ranjini Pushpa on your entrepreneurial, um, I'm sorry, on your unconventional professor podcast. See you soon, guys. Welcome to the Unconventional Professor Five on Five. How are you today? I'm doing great, Professor. How are you? I'm very happy to get to talk to you. Uh, We've been talking, the two of us, we talk a lot, but we haven't seen each other in person in what, six months now? More than six months, Professor. (laughs) Oh, man, that's terrible. I know. Where are you now?
1: I'm back home in India. Uh, Bangalore. Um, In Bangalore? Yep. And you're with your family? Are you staying with them? Yes, I'm back at my mom's place.
0: So for those of you who don't know, uh, Ranjini Pushpa is my student. She's a senior class MBA. uh, She's a senior MBA student class of 21, right? You're graduating in in the spring? Yes. Oh, what a year. (laughs) We're going to have so many experiences to take from here. Yep. (laughs) So um, to remind everybody who's listening or who's listening for the first time, the interview section of the unconventional podcast, um, uh, the unconventional professor podcast is has a twist. Instead of just me asking my guests questions, they also take turns to ask me questions. So that's why this sem- segment is called five on five. And uh, I never want to know in advance the questions. My guests don't get to know the answer, the my questions in advance. And I think because we like to keep it, um, uh, we like to keep it as, um, as natural as possible, as organic as possible. We don't want like we don't want to rehearse. So Ranjini, are we ready to get started? Yes, professor. Ready. All right. So my, my first question is the question that I'm always going to ask. Um, mm-hmm. tell us, tell us in a few words, a little bit about yourself and what makes you unconventional.
1: Awesome. Um, So for me, like I think uh, what defines me is definitely uh, no complicated words. I'm a very simple girl. Uh, Simple things and smallest things bring me joy and happiness. I love uh, making other people happy as well. But what makes me unconventional is the fact that I don't take a challenge as a challenge. And I have this really positive attitude around anything. So put a challenge in my way and I'm just going to say bring it (laughs) on So uh, that's what makes me unconventional. I never give up. Um, I have seen a lot of challenges in my life. And every time uh, I've been faced with a challenge, I've only overcome it and got. it's made me a lot more stronger. So I definitely don't let challenges or failures define who who I am, but rather how I've actually overcome that. And that's what defines me and that's uh, what makes me unconventional.
0: Uh, I can attest to that. I think uh, some of the first things that we experienced together were quite a challenging project. Yeah. And I, I don't know that many people, Ranjini, who had the emotional maturity, the resilience, uh, and the adaptability to uh, adjust to all the uh, all the stress of the project, the way you, you adjusted. And then not only that, but you came back so much stronger. And you really are a very inspiring person for me for that and you said that you don't take a challenge in a negative way
1: yeah. now that
0: you say it I think about all the pains that we had in the first semester with many projects mm-hmm. and not once not once you lost your cool not once you had nothing but a smile on your face I remember you walking me to one of your meeting rooms and I was stressed for you guys and you were <laughs> like I'm gonna be fine professor you will see it's gonna be so good
1: yeah so yeah it it is who you are (laughs)
0: yeah
1: I think sometimes a validation like that just makes uh, someone recognize that oh it's okay you are faced with it but you have to figure out a way to deal with it
0: absolutely absolutely so I think this is the time for your first question for me
1: Yes. So my question to you is, Professor, again, what defines you as an individual and makes you this unconventional and awesome professor? Because that's <laughs> someone I've always sat in your class and looked at you. And sometimes I've actually like gone speechless because I'm, I'm just looking at you and I'm like, how can a person like you come to class and just be so confident and speak to so many students? And I've also seen your other events as well. So what defines you and makes you so unconventional?
0: Oh, wow. First of all, thank you for the validation. Um, I have to say, especially now teaching online, Mm -hmm. it's very hard to know that you're doing a good job. It's very hard to get any kind of validation from the students because Zoom is not an environment where you get uh, feedback instantly or you see people reacting instantly. But Mm-hmm. Uh, my my uh, my journey of becoming who I am today—it's a—it was a complicated uh, journey and not a linear one. And one of the messages that I want to uh, share with my my students, with my community, with my tribe is that we should not be so focused on having a linear path. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no big deal if you change directions. And I think you know, uh, Ranjini I had many many different paths in my life, yes. and many different um, jobs. But I think in my case, I am confident when I come to your class, if I'm well prepared, mm-hmm. I'm confident to speak about something that I know really well. Um, but in order to get there, I had to, I had to fake it till I make it, you know, <laughs> and then I become it. So I, I want to make a, I want to make an important observation here. Mm-hmm. Fake it till you make it helps you a couple of times. But then at some point, you have to be coming. Yes. You, you cannot just say, you know what? Once again, I faked it. I got away with this. Whew. Good. But um, I, um, for example, I teach, let's say that I teach the Ritz-Carlton case study. Mm-hmm. And I taught it maybe four times a year for the past 10 years, if not more. Yeah. And every single time I, I, uh, I have to prepare again for teaching it, I prepare almost the same time as this would be the first time doing it. So I'm only confident when I am prepared mm-hmm. and therefore I'm going to say that I'm confident because I'm competent. Now, I also want to say that I think many people, think that I'm probably also very arrogant or that I project arrogance and um, I don't know if that's because I do or because we are not very used to have women mm-hmm. who are very mm-hmm. confident in themselves. Um, and, and actually, this is a question that I want to ask you, uh, maybe later on, I want to talk about, you know, women, equality, roles and genders, etc. But mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm surrounded by my colleagues, by men who are very confident, and I don't see them getting so many observations like, oh, how can you be so confident? Yeah. I think yeah. it's more striking when a woman is. That's definitely true. I don't know. Maybe maybe you help me reflect on this. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think you're you're on point, Professor. When it comes to women coming across as this very confident person or uh, someone with really high self-esteem, and uh, they are very direct to you, whether it's feedback or just opinions, people actually take it with a negative connoti- connotation, right? But it's not the same mm-hmm. with men. They say, "Oh, wow, he's such a confident person," and they associate it with very positive words, which is very. Uh, when you reflect back on it, it's not fair as well because. Why discriminate someone based on like gender and not about the fact that this person is equally confident irrespective of their gender? So I've always yeah. seen you as a very confident person, professor, never as an arrogant person. So that <laughs> that's my validation for your confidence.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Ranjini. I, I do have to say every now and then I probably border on overconfidence. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, since we're mentioning, uh, since we're talking about you know, women and men and, and things like mm-hmm. that. I'm a feminist. I think you're a feminist too. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people still don't understand what being a feminist is. Yes. For me, being a feminist it means that I believe in equal rights and equal responsibility between men and women and people who identify anywhere else on the spectrum of gender. Yep. Um. But more than anything, I, I believe in equality. So I don't believe just in gender equality. I believe in Yep in, in uh, you know, I believe in uh, LGBTQ plus equality, I believe mm-hmm. in uh, color equality, I believe in caste equality. I, I just think that we are so used to filling traditional roles and perpetuate this stereotype. And this is why I am so uh, aggravated when I see how we allow historical you know like I said stereotypes to define who we are what is your relationship with with equality how do you how do you see yourself as a woman you also come from a very traditional culture you come from an Indian culture and you are a very unconventional and strong sort of assertive women. So what, what's your relationship with equality?
1: For me, I very strongly believe in equality, Professor. I I think it's also to be with the fact of my upbringing. Uh, I've never felt indifferent. I've never been a fe- made to feel that I am any less than a guy around me or Uh, any less than anyone around me so I've been treated with Hmm. respect so I've learned that uh, if you want to get get respect you always have to give respect to someone else uh, first so I think that uh, kind of uh, and and like you said uh, sometimes the culture around you and the society you are brought up in uh, actually makes such a big impact in the way you think the way you actually behave and actually the values that you kind of uh, inculcate in you because you think that that is the norm of living you grow up in a household that has violence and abuse you think that that's exactly what you need to do like to your future spouse or to your children but that uh, is very hard for some kids for example uh, being brought up in this uh, environment to realize that Maybe that's wrong. That's exactly what I'm not supposed to do. So throughout my, uh, I think just growing up in a very uh, middle class slash lower class family in India, I realized uh, societies or the environment I grew up in, I could see so much to do with caste system and just the belief that, oh, this person is from a lower caste, so you need not talk to them a certain way. And it always aggravated me because I, I... I actually was fortunate enough to grow up in a very, uh, amazing, uh, school. Uh, maybe I can talk to you later about it, but that school, yeah, definitely, uh, that school actually like gave me, um, insight or just opened up so many doors to me because, uh, having grown up in a boarding school, right. Uh, And living there twenty four by seven, I knew that was an environment or a world very different from what I grew up at home. So every time I used to come back for vacation, which was literally like five weeks in an entire year, I could see that classic difference. And I used to always define my journey uh, until now as I lived in a world in a I lived a life of two worlds. Uh, The world Mm. at Mm. my school was this world of opportunities always making me believe that there is no uh, limit to what you can achieve. And then I came back home and I could see so many restrictions. And it was not just me, but the fact that I could see that with other girls or uh, families around me, like simple things like the Indian culture uh, in a lot of places still believes that the value of a girl is uh, defined by you finish your 10th grade or you finish a certain a- amount of education and then you're ready for marriage and your responsibility yeah. as a woman is to look after the family like cooking and uh, give birth to children and there's nothing more uh, for a woman to do but uh, for me that always like surprised me like simple concepts in our culture around like arranged marriages as much as i've seen the pros and cons of it For me, I'm like, why force someone into something that has been a stigma or something that's been historically uh, followed and and not actually like change that? So for me, just like you, Professor, I believe very strongly in equality. I don't think people have to be judged based on uh, race or color or just the fact of gender, but rather each person should be treated as another human being. Like what difference does it make?
0: Yeah, I was I was actually reflecting, and I definitely want to talk about mm-hmm. your school because it sounds really interesting. But as I was reflecting as you, as you were speaking, that in my case, I was mm-hmm. raised in communism, and communism for all the bad things that it was an mm-hmm. evil system. But one of the things they did well, they treated everybody equally in the sense that there was never gender discrimination in communism because everybody was part of the collective. Mm-hmm. So. It didn't matter if you were a girl or a boy. So I never, I never uh, experienced gender discrimination until I sort of became part of a capitalistic society where there was a, there was, I don't know, there were some implicit statements that women are less than mm-hmm. men. And my first my first cases of being severely discriminated as a woman was actually in Switzerland. Uh, when I moved to Switzerland, not mm-hmm. in Romania, as, as backwards as my country is, but when I lived in Switzerland, for those of you who don't know, Switzerland is an amazing country from an eco, socio, uh, political perspective, but it is a little bit backwards when it comes to, when it comes to gender rights. Yep. Um, I don't know if you guys know, but the last state in Switzerland that uh, was forced to give the women the right to vote was in Appenzeller in 1992, wow. Rangini. Nineteen ninety-two, the state was forced to give women the right to vote, um, and I know maybe we'll talk about that later, Hyun. I know that you worked this summer with somebody mm-hmm. from Switzerland, but uh, like I said, my my experience with with um, equality became a lot more evident as I grew up as an adult, and a lot less as a as a child. Mm-hmm. So let me let me let me see what's your what's your next question
1: for me and let's see where that takes us from. This. Yeah. Uh, so my next one, uh, Professor, is uh, I think we can go back to the topic on education, because um, I think before mm. I tell you my story, I want to see your perspective, because. Education is something that I've always believed that is the biggest gift or an asset you could give someone. And uh, that's something that they can take on for a lifetime, right? But as uh, entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. such as yourself, it is one of the industries very challenging to set your foot in. Mainly because I think education is something you can't quantify in the impact uh, in very short term period. So you can't say, oh, I've uh, instilled like these amazing values in this person, but you do not have the assurity that this person has transformed into something that you envision for themselves. But uh, it takes Mm -hmm. a lot of years. So what made you as an entrepreneur set your foot into this education and start up ASP as an institute?
0: great question and and just so you know my next question is going to mm-hmm. be about your school because now that you you placed the um, you place the seed in my brain i want to i want to i want to yeah. talk about your school so um i um when i went to high school um i went to there were not that many options uh, especially post-communism there were not that many options post-communism in terms of specialization in high school and one can say you know what does a kid need to learn how to specialize yes. but there was a teaching high school, there was a medical high school, and there was a military high school, and then there were some sort of like generic mm-hmm. high schools. And my, my grandfather wanted me to be a nurse. Interesting enough, he, he always said, I, I used to say, why not a doctor, Grandpa? And he said, because nurses are the ones who are closest to the patients. They are the ones who truly uh, take care of them. And I thought, I thought for a long time it was a mm-hmm. sexist comment, but actually... It was a validating comment that how much he appreciated nurses. But I never really liked blood, so I didn't do that. My father wanted me to go to military school, but for obvious reasons, I would have been such a terrible (laughs) match because I have massive issues with authority. (laughs) Uh, And then the obvious choice was, let me go to a teaching high school. At least when I graduate, I have a a profession and then Mm -hmm. I can do whatever I want. And I have to tell you, that was probably one of the best learning experiences in my life, even today in class. If you think, Ranjini, that Mm -hmm. I'm a good professor, I would say 80% of the things that I learned in high school about Mm -hmm. how to teach, I still apply them today. I learned that you need to have a story when you teach, that you need to have an introduction, a build-up, a closure, that the attention span has to be captured with various tools. Um, So it's, it's so amazing how transformative my high school education yep. was. So when I graduated, um, by that point, I already had a couple of crazy jobs because uh, post-communist Romania was very poor. But um, I, um, I got tenure um, in a preschool and I spent, I think, maybe my first three years, I worked mm-hmm. as a teacher. And then, um, and then I had to, to give it up because I was way, way, way too unconventional. And I remember having short blue hair and very, very short skirts. And my school director, who was amazing, she was an amazing woman, but she kept telling me, I like, I don't know if this is appropriate. And I was like, well, you no, know? because this is what a 23-year-old is going to say. But that made me, I think that made me uh, realize the importance of an educator, uh, education was always important. One of the things about growing up in a communist regime was that education was very, very important, and nobody messed up mm-hmm. with that. So I was good in school, but when I went to college, this is when my relationship with education went very, very array because my college experience was the opposite of my high school and I hated it and I didn't like what I was doing and I didn't have options. It's not. We didn't have American systems where one could choose a major and then, you know, uh, change it if they chose to do so. In my case was you choose something that you want to do. And for the next four years, that's Mm -hmm. what you're going to do. So um, also, I haven't really seen any people in my academic college life that inspired me. The majority of the professors that I saw were sort of like older white guys sitting at the desk reading Mm -hmm. from a book. And... I was like, oh, I so don't want to do this. And then by accident, uh, as I was pursuing my master's later on in life, I was offered to uh, I was offered the scholarship for for a Ph.D. program. And I, I remember almost laughing because I was so that set to mm-hmm. become an entrepreneur. But then I was talking to my mentor at that time and he said, if somebody gives you free money for education, you better take it because that's the only personal investment that one should make in life. Yep. So I um, still at that point, I didn't want to be a professor. Like I said, I've never, I've never had a, and this is maybe what's very important to have role models, not necessarily just mentors, but, but find somebody that looks like you find somebody that does what you want to do, but somebody who's not so different than who you are, that you feel like, you know what, I'll never be this. And through this, this, scholarship, I also got to spend a little bit of time at, at Harvard doing a summer program. And then I spent some time at MIT and I saw people who actually reminded me a lot more of who I am, of being somebody who's very direct, very outspoken, somebody who uh, is not afraid to to say what she means, even though sometimes I should (laughs) shut the fuck up. But I realized that my patterns were so limited to my little interaction that I had up to that point. And I'm not saying it was just Romania. No, no, no. Switzerland was oh, wow. the same. Uh, the, a lot of the, the, the models that I saw, even around the globe later on, were these very traditional uh, mm-hmm. professors. But when I, saw, when I saw some of the things that I saw at MIT and at Harvard, I thought, you know what? This is validating. Maybe yep. I should do this. And long story short, after I, I became a professor and I moved to Boston, Um, And when I had this, I was teaching for MIT in India at the Indian School Mm -hmm. of Business at ISB. And um, when I heard that MIT was having a conversation about building a school from scratch in Malaysia, I pretty much went to them. I said, I want to be part of this because how many people can say I was part of building something that is different, something that is uh, what I think it should be. And, and I'm, I'm going to wrap it up here, but that's why I think of ASB as being an unconventional and extraordinary school. Uh, I always thought of myself as being unconventional when I came to ASB together with our president, Professor Charles Fine. I said, we, you are extraordinary. I am unconventional. Let's build the school around these values and let's find other unconventional people mm-hmm. like us out there who have extraordinary assets. So I think this is a little bit my relationship with with education. But now I I really want to know more about your school. So you said that you went to a very special
1: school in India. What's that? Tell me a little bit more about it. It sounds so. so Yes, I would love to take you there as uh, well, professor, because sometimes uh, describing my school in words is so difficult. But actually, you visiting and experiencing it even for a day makes such a big difference. Um, But I think uh, my journey with my school started way back in 1997 uh, because that was kind of when it was Mm -hmm. set up. um, And the school kind of, I think the person who stands behind. What's the name of the school? And it is Mm -hmm. a residential school uh, in South India, almost at the borders of uh, Karnataka, which is a state, and also Tamil Nadu, which is one of the states in uh, South India. So this amazing school uh, was started by a founder, an entrepreneur, as I call him. But he has very different uh, categories as well, because he's someone we all look up to as a fatherly figure. Uh, He was an Indian himself. Um, He used to be in the army and then uh, slowly after a couple of years moved to the US along with his family and he worked multiple jobs there, became a businessman. But the amazing part about his story was after all of that, uh, he came back to his home country and he said he wants to make a difference in uh, the uh, poor communities in India. So all the amount Mm -hmm. of money he had saved and invested, he decided to invest into this project called Shanti Bhavan. So the mission, obviously, of the school was uh, to break the cycle of poverty amongst uh, families in mainly South India, but also uh, hopefully across the uh, world in the near future. But I think uh, with... With India coming, still being such a developing country or underdeveloped country is uh, a lot to do with the culture and the uh, the concept of caste that still prevails in India. Yeah. So people coming from yeah. very lower caste or uh, very low families believe that there is nothing left for them. They are in this never ending cycle of poverty. You get married, you give birth to yeah. children, those children go back into the same cycle. So the whole point of this project was, can we make something for these children through the form of education that they break that cycle of poverty? And it was targeted at one child per family. Uh, And yeah, the main concept of why we targeted one child per family was so that we could actually reach out to multiple families in India. So that concept Mm -hmm. was very amazing to me. And obviously like I grew up at that school from the age of four and that's how I know Two other amazing people at ASB, that is Vincia, who's in the junior badge, and Amruta, who was my junior back in school, but was my senior at uh, ASB. So our um, journey, like, I think we've known each other for so many years because we grew up from the age of four. So the school takes in children at the age of four. uh, And we try to keep the numbers to just 24 children every year, which is uh, equal boys and equal Mm -hmm. girls, 12-12 per badge. And then we grew up in a very different educational environment and a residential school. So we visit home um, every twice a year, but it's just for a very short uh, time period, uh, mainly because a lot of our families do not have financial uh, capabilities to take care of us. And most of our families, like just to tell you the backgrounds that a lot of our families come from, is either from uh, very abusive, uh, violent families due to alcoholism. Uh, it could also be families that are working in like construction sites and uh, very low mm-hmm. income earning uh, industries or like uh, um, jobs. So I think um, yeah, as much as the mission and the uh, vision of the school is amazing, I think the journey for me uh, started when I was uh, in kind of middle school high school because that's when I started to understand what it meant uh, to have such a different education so to give you just a personal aspect of my family story is I also grew up uh, where my mother was the breadwinner for the family and I could see her struggle on a day-to-day basis earning very minimal income Uh, she used to work as a seamstress in a a factory uh, stitching clothes but uh, I think she had a very different willpower uh, professor because I think some of it comes from her that I am such a positive person as well. But uh, Mm -hmm. she had to let me go at the age of four. And I remember like a lot of people around, like relatives and families around were like, why can't you not like look after your daughter and you have to send her away to a school? If you had to do that, like why even give birth to her kind of questions, right? Uh, Just questioning her capability as a mother. And she knew that she had to make that sacrifice for her younger daughter so that at least by sending me to a different school where the education was free for me, uh, she could actually educate my sister. And uh, that, I thought, was such an amazing sacrifice because over the years, I remember every time I used to get dropped back at school on the bus ride, I used to cry to my mom say. Why are you leaving me kind of uh, tears? But then as soon as I stepped into the school, like for me, I just used to say bye to my mom and I was back in a home itself. So I never saw my school as, oh, I'm being taken to a different place. Uh, How long have you been in the school from the age of four until when? uh, 12th, which is almost 18, until I was 18. Yes. Wow. Yes. So 14 years. And then... Mm-hmm. So it's an, end, it's an
0: end-to-end school. Yes, goal. Professor. I see. Okay. I'm sorry I interrupted you, but I want you to know how long. So you were saying that you're, you're absolutely right. It's not you that you had the strength. I mean, you did later on, but for yep. your mother to have this strength and to have the, the resilience and sort of the, 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 the confidence to say, you know what? I know what's best for my daughter, even though I don't have this, but yep. she will have this. That's that's amazing. That's that's what we should admire. I I
1: always admire my mom for that. Like she never realizes that that's a very different sacrifice she did for me. She always still feels that I haven't done anything for you in your life. Uh, But I know how much she's done uh, to just let me go and get this amazing, amazing uh, future for myself. Um, But I also think I think, Professor, for uh, parents to let go of their children at that age, right? Like I was the first graduating batch. So uh, at my school, so uh, literally when my mom dropped me off at this school, there was just one building on multiple acres of land, nothing around. It was barren land. And I till today, I questioned my mom like, what made you like have that confidence in that school wow. and into those people that they could bring a future to your daughter? And wh- wh- why didn't you ever doubt one minute that maybe it was a wrong decision? So I still haven't got an answer. And I don't know what hap- uh, what goes on in the minds of a lot of my classmates, parents as well at that point. But the school has evolved so much. And I think when I, I remember going into college uh, and I got into one of the top universities in Bangalore, And I was sitting amidst um, kids or like students at that point coming from really wealthy families. And I could see that difference Mm. only when it came to like the dressing style or things that they were like the phones that they had and things like that. But never in my mind once did I sit in that class feeling that I didn't deserve to be there. And that is what like made me so happy because I remember sitting in these classes thinking to myself, what would my life have been without my school? Like they just gave me that one key to uh, my life, which was education. And that defined me for the rest of my life. So that was when I realized that no matter what, um, if I ever want to make a difference to someone, I would always sponsor a child or I would give it back in terms of education, because that's something, no matter how much money you give a family, to uh, break the cycle of poverty it's never going to happen until you give them the tool to education that what's make uh, what makes you such a strong and independent person like you can see that with uh, Amruta as well since you know her right professor but
0: yeah
1: I've seen her uh, as well struggle I've seen so many different stories of my classmates and my juniors back from my school and uh, I've seen those kids now right now, when they've started working and they've gone to college and things like that. they are actually we are we are driving the change, as I can see. like it's a big burden for us as well. Absolutely. I think the families that we come from they they feel that oh, this uh, like especially if you talk about girls, the different thought process that happens for girls and guys, there are quite a few families that feel that, okay, you got a good education. Uh, now you're working how about you just get married and these are the questions that do still come to us as girls but for guys it's a very different thing like okay you've gotten a job uh, how much yep. are you earning they are so curious to know those things but yep. I can tell you that um, yeah it's it's rewarding to see I I, I hope uh, the founder of the school Dr. Abraham George uh, feels that way because he is uh, like I said, it's it's very difficult to describe in words, but I think he took that leap of faith to come back and do this uh, as a school and actually wait for 17 to 18. And now it's almost like 22 years just yeah. to see us students yeah. doing things that we are doing, which we obviously would not have been able to do if not for Shanti Bhavan. He would be so proud
0: of you. So let's be sure that we we send them this uh, this podcast just to have them hear you validate yes. your, your journey. So for those of you who are listening, the name of the school is yes. Shanti Bavan. Uh, you can find them if you just Google the name; is um, they they pretty much show up <laughs> everywhere. Uh, and maybe maybe Rangini, we can we can talk later on. Is there a way that we can give back? Is there a way that we can help? Maybe sponsoring one of uh, one of the children. Uh, When I lived in India, I think, you know, that I I taught at ISB. I spent some time in Chandigarh and I spent some time in in Hyderabad. The majority of time I spent in Chandigarh. And India is such a beautiful country of contrast. The most beautiful things and the most horrible things happen within the next, within the the same square kilometer. And uh, I I think it's probably one of the countries that affected me the Mm -hmm. most in my entire life. Um, and it's also the country that took probably the biggest yeah. slice of my heart yeah. all right I'm curious to know what you want yes. to know about so my me next,
1: next topic to you professor is a little personal because I think I've seen a lot of these cases and I see that exact opposite in you and I think uh, that relates to self-esteem uh, like I uh, spoke to you in the beginning yeah. I always was in awe of how amazing you had like self-esteem you had about yourself and how confident as a person you came so and a lot of people find it very difficult especially with a lot of uh, things that happen some people get into depression and things like that and they find it so difficult to overcome that Uh, So for my question to you as professor, I think a lot of people just see you as this confident person, but do not actually know the struggles you've been through. Uh, So what has been perhaps your biggest fear in life, or even maybe a small moment that was actually a low moment in life that actually made you this person, this vibrant and confident person you are today?
0: Beautiful question. (laughs) I'm going to frame it. (laughs) So it's not Mm -hmm. just one moment. Um, Ranjini, I mean, there's, there's so many moments. I, you, you're, you're, you're not born confident. Let, let me put it this way. There are people who probably have uh, a, a more sunny disposition by, by birth. There are people who probably have a more optimistic uh, disposition, but I don't think yeah. anybody's born confident. I think it, it's a journey of building, building yourself up. So in the first part of my life, i was very good at building myself down digging Mm -hmm. myself in holes constantly putting myself down and i have to say this also comes from from living in a society where being criticized was the Mm -hmm. national game it was uh i i remember um when i went to high school i told you that i went to this this teaching special high school and uh i got uh, the first in the second class so I got the first the first seat in the second class and then we were going back home and telling everybody and the answer was like why are you bragging you didn't get first in the first class you got first in the second mm-hmm. class there's nothing to brag about so it, it was a constant thing of you know mm-hmm. you're never good enough you're never you, sh- you should never be uh, happy with what you achieve you should always try to to get more but and I recently said this to, to one of our students, David, if you're listening, this is, this is for you. Mm-hmm. I remember talking to David and David was telling me about the struggle of being <laughs> the best. And this, this was because I think I gave his team a B plus mm-hmm. instead of an A. And, and they were a little bit upset with me. And I said, but it's just a grade. What, what, why is this grade so important to you? And David said, because I was never a B student. And I said, well, every now and then somebody is, everybody is a B student. And I said, why is this so important to you, David? And I, and I said, have you ever took, took a moment to think about how much pain you put on the process of becoming successful, that maybe we should also enjoy success, that we should not allow the pain of success to get in the way of the mm-hmm. joy of success? Because I think a lot of us are so used to be so competitive, so determined to succeed, but we don't really stop and enjoy the process or don't even stop, just enjoy the process. So what I realized early in life, uh, but maybe not early enough, is that there's nobody there to save me. There's nobody there who's gonna tell me, you are good enough. Um, It's okay that you're not a size zero, it's fine. It's okay that you don't have a perfect nose. It's okay. You are who you are. And especially as a girl, I think you know this, Ranjini, but women are so scrutinized, self-scrutinized, and then society scrutinized about being this archetype of, I don't know, I don't know what the ideal woman is, but none of us apparently fit that ideal because all of us are struggling to become something we are not. And I think at at some point I said, you know what? I think I'm going to have to start practicing self-love and if the people around me don't give me the validation that i want then i'm going to give myself that validation and i think this is the this is a secret ingredient in the recipe to to building conf, conf, confidence is realizing that if your efforts are intense then the outcome is, should be should be rewarded and if you have to reward yeah. yourself that it's fine but if we constantly beat yourself up like oh i'm not good enough oh i'm not skinny enough oh i'm not fat enough i'm not this i'm not that then you know you become successful but you're very bitter about it because you never yep. get to enjoy who you are and i know many times and now i actually play with this a little bit i i, I build this um this confident persona so there, i am confident as a person but i'm not as confident as i appear obviously but especially when i have public talks i put this very confident persona forward And I actually play with it a little bit. And it's so interesting to see how people are on one hand shocked by how can somebody be so comfortable in their own skin. But the first thing that people come to me after a talk, they're like, you're so inspiring. I wish I was like you. And I always tell people, don't be like me, be like you, but just be like your best version. And and I think that's the thing. We are so used to beat ourselves up, to put ourselves down, to question everything about ourselves that we feel like. I'm never good enough. And one day I will be. And by the day you will be, you're going to die because you will never be that person. You will be, you will never reach this impossible standards of perfection, of beauty, of intelligence, of kindness, of whatever
1: that standard is. So it's a very, wow. very dangerous path. You put camp. it so beautifully, Professor. I think to all the listeners out there, if you guys are listening to this and you guys are going through any moment in your life that you feel so low on your self-esteem, you have to frame these words. You, you have to be you and you are good <laughs> enough to be you.
0: Yes, I, thank you for that. <laughs> I should hire you as my agent. But, but let me just say, it's okay to be you as long as you, hard, uh, you try yes. hard to be the best version of you. So I, I'm not saying you shouldn't criticize yourself. I'm saying when you do the, everything that you can, when you do the hardest that you can, when you do the best that you can, then why is it so bad exactly. to recognize that you are good? I think you heard me in class many times Ranjini but I say something I catch myself like (laughs) oh that was very good oh I never said that before good job Lore and I think people think it's funny but it's almost my way of of taking care of myself if that makes sense. Absolutely
1: makes sense. Mm
0: -hmm. Speaking of taking care of yourself um, do you take care of yourself and if you do how and And do you understand this concept of self-love and do you practice it? And by the way, for all the dirty minds out there, (laughs) self-love is not masturbation because I got a few comments like that. I have nothing against that. Feel free to enjoy yourself as much as you want. But what I mean by self-love is accepting who you are, loving yourself for who you are. Do not pick on every single flaw that you have so what's your relationship with yourself I believe in the
1: self-love professor I think it's so important because uh, otherwise you'll feel like you're living in a prison cell like constantly being beaten around ab- yeah. around expectations from other people but that's actually sometimes not the reality like you're happy being you and you're just trying to Uh, not be you by trying to be someone else that someone else expects out of you, right? So for me, I think uh, the way I keep myself healthy or um, happy is to constantly surround myself with things that make me happy. I hate negative energy. So the moment I feel like, Someone is bringing negative energy around me. I try to avoid them mainly because not because they are bad. I hope yeah. that uh, I can help them in some way to see the positive sides. But I think that uh, brings me down and I it affects me in a very different way. So I try to mm-hmm. avoid that. Uh, the other bit yeah. is constantly engaging to do something I love doing. Like it could be simple things that I'm a keen sports person. So uh, I I remember like working at Goldman as much as I loved what I did there. Sometimes it used to be like a pressure cooker because you work like 13, 14 hours and you were so exhausted by the end of five day work time. And weekends used to go off and just like re- recovering from that, like, re- like, uh, energizing yourself for the next week so i decided that no matter what i was going to keep myself engaged in sports so i used to play a lot of football back then and i also do now uh, so even if i finished work at like midnight i used to go for a game uh, for one and a half hours i don't know how i did that but i used to come back and wow. i used to feel so good like i'm like okay that is my space where i go and vent out and take my negative energy out and i'm back to being this mm. uh, positive energetic person And so I think that's my way of keeping myself happy. Uh, Constantly surround yourself with people you like being around, people who bring positive energy around you, and also do uh, things that you love doing once in a while. Like simple things like gardening as well. I'm not a very good person when it comes to taking care of plants as much as I love uh, doing gardening. But um, I've seen a lot of people who've just gotten joy over uh, doing small, small things like this. Yes, mm-hmm. I've seen your beautiful I did that too. garden. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so what um, mm-hmm. while you're preparing your question for me, I, I just want to say I saw you playing football. <laughs> and oh my God, you are so good. And also, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I started gardening when I moved to, to this new yeah. apartment that has a lot more greenery than, than the apartment that I had yeah. before. And uh, I started in the, in the lockdown. I'm surrounded by a jungle and Mm -hmm. there was a lot of construction going on around me and we were still allowed to walk around, not too far, but just within the premise. And there were a lot of plants who were about to be destroyed or, you know. So I started building my own little garden and I have to say going maybe once a day, watering my plants, talking to my cats. Right now (laughs) I'm looking at the bird uh, in the tree. Literally, I'm looking at the bird in the tree. She's so cute. I think this also helps to get your mind stopped you know, racing on, on your yeah, daily
1: obsessions. I totally agree. So my question to you, all right, I'm ready on the new concept that you're driving as a campaign at ASP, the smart and sharp skills. And the reason I'm going to ask you this is because uh-huh. uh, I love the, uh, the, the way we've at ASP redefined hard and soft skills because that small change in word actually, sends such Mm a strong message so what is that one skill I know a lot of skills that I can go on about you but what is that one skill you think that defines you uh and maybe a message you would send out to the people out there
0: really do you want to be my agent you're so freaking good at this Ranjini uh so for those of you who are not familiar with this um like Ranjini said we at asb and, and me in general i like to challenge uh traditional and i, I don't like to challenge traditions for the ch- the sake of the challenge but i like to question why do we do things and is it time for a for a refreshment if you want and for a very very long time in my life i had a massive problem with with the words uh that we're used to describing skills hard skills and soft skills and there's such an implication that if something is hard, it's challenging, it's difficult, it's rigid. And it's not really true. We just, we're just giving this impression that, you know, statistics is hard or math is hard. But actually, I think we should think of these skills as sharp, because on one hand, they sharpen you as a person, but you also have to constantly sharpen them yep. to remain to remain relevant. Um, and then absolutely, the, the, my, my biggest problem is with the word soft, like when, once I started working, I realized yep. that the job is easy. The people are not. And the skills that are required to work with people are definitely not soft skills. There's nothing soft about dealing with, with uh, you know, complicated people. There's nothing soft about managing your stakeholders. There's nothing soft about dealing with conflict and office politics. So what we call this smart skills. So I also came up with a, with a top 10 smart skill um, category. And by the way, one of our students, Devika, is helping me oh. write a couple of articles on this. And among things, I, I, I talk about, um, you know, emotional maturity. I talk about cognitive readiness. I talked about adaptability, uh, you know, managing multiple perspectives. I talk about validation. So uh, the question was, what am I good at or what do I need you to can work on? Both. Or can I answer both? So uh, I have to say there is a bias when I came up with this top tens because I did reflect a lot on myself. And I think one of the things that I'm proud of bringing up into discussion, not just within my students, but within the overall management and um, my own tribe is the power mm-hmm. of validation. I think we uh, have to recognize that as humans, we need to feed, just like you said, Ranjini, We need to feed our emotional accounts with positive reinforcements, with recognition for the things that we do well, with things that make us happy or things that uh, for which if we are being recognized they make us happy. So I'm I'm very proud of bringing this lens forward and I've noticed I have to say I'm very satisfied to see that so many people are using this language now uh, at ASB Um, and then the one thing that I'm struggling with a lot, and the reason why I put it as a top 10 is emotional maturity. I think, um, I, I I usually say this in class, but I think the same thing we like about somebody is the same thing we dislike about somebody when, when that thing is not calibrated. Like, I I think we can, we can agree that I'm a very vibrant person. I'm a very colorful person. I'm, I'm, uh, Jonathan said yesterday (laughs) about me that I'm I'm bigger than life. I, I don't know what that means, but when somebody gets that, I'm very fiery. Also, people say this that I have a mm-hmm. very fiery, spicy temperament. But um, you know, I recently went to a Indian restaurant. Yeah. I actually posted the story on my Instagram because I had I had Indian food and I don't like spicy. I love Indian food, but I don't like chili. And this was so spicy that my head started spinning. So I feel the same way about, about emotional maturity. Like in mm-hmm. my case, I can be very spicy and fiery. But if I don't calibrate the un- amount, I can burn I can burn, <laughs> I can burn. people around me. I can burn the environment. I, I let my emotions make the best of me. I'm very, very reactive. I lose my temper a lot. And I realize it happens exactly when, what you mentioned, Vanjini. It happens if I don't take care mm-hmm. of myself, if I don't practice self-care if I don't give myself time for, for the things that I know I need to do in order to stay mentally healthy. Um, for example, I don't want to work during the weekends. I don't think of this work. I don't think it's our conversation as, as, as work. But I don't like to work in the weekends. I'm extremely yep. introverted, and I need my time off. But, you know, you don't always get to do that, and the monster comes out. So validation is, is probably the thing that I want, I want to educate people this year on. Uh, cognitive readiness maybe we'll talk about that another time and then emotional maturity is something that i i need to work on that i need to address um interesting thanks
1: for sharing that professor of course (laughs) sharing Mm -hmm. is
0: caring all right last question for my side uh and this is a question that i want to ask everybody who's who's uh, kind enough to stop by and listen to this podcast um I think there are a lot of people out out there like you like me like many of the guests that I have on this podcast that they are what I call mm-hmm. closeted unconventionals in the sense that they they do feel that they are different they feel like they want to be themselves but they are still in the closet and I don't mean the you know the the the, the gay closet I mean you are not confident enough to yep. say I am what I am and I stand for it do you have any advice for for this te- for this kind of people who are struggling to accept who they are and and be the yep, unconventional think, people uh, that they are definitely
1: like you said confidence does not come overnight it comes uh, over time and i think for people out there uh, there is uh there will always be that constant fear of failure but unless you actually get up and try something you don't know if you're going to succeed or not because the percentage or probability of that success is always um underestimated because of our, uh, our constant fear of failure. Yep. So why why uh, worry about something when you can actually do something about it? So I remember like one of my really good uh, mentors back from school, um, someone I looked up to uh, and still do, uh, had made this quote to me and I don't know where he got this from but I always associated this quote with him. Uh, he said, every moment wasted worrying is a moment wasted living. So we all have such a short lifetime and it's left up to us to decide whether we want to live it um, or just let it go and be in this not so unconventional uh, box where we are constantly being trapped or based on other people's perspective and other people's expectations of us. So if you guys just need a quick advice from me is it's okay to be scared. But it's also okay to get up and try. So trying is the first step. So be the unconventional people that you see around you and surround yourself with positive people. You will figure out a way to get out of it.
0: Thank you, Ranjini, and and the last and quick question. Yes, for the me last one is I want to
1: ask a similar question like you asked me, Professor. But I think I want to drive it more from uh, the topic that's very close to us around equality. I think in today's world we see that a lot of violence and um, a lot of these uh, wars and like just so much hatred around the world when it comes to uh, inequality, different communities based on color, gender and everything. So what is your one thing that you would tell to the millennials of this world? Uh, What do you strongly believe when it comes to um, making people, the millennials and everyone around us, believe in this concept of equality? Why is it so important to you? Yeah.
0: So I I actually have to say, I think millennials and especially the Z generation are a lot better at at, at, uh, taking equality for for what it is, which is it's part of our everyday life. What I would say is that they need to do they need to they need to uh, fight in their own beliefs and do not let themselves being influenced by those before them, before us, who were raised to believe that this is not a given. So I, I, I strongly believe that millennials and the Zs, the younger generation and mm-hmm. the millennials already know how to do this. I just, I wanna urge you yes. to fight for what you believe in. So speaking of fighting what I believe in, I believe in being punctual. Uh, we are at the 55 minute mark. This is, I have to say, a fascinating conversation, Ranjini. Maybe we'll come back and we'll have yep. another, another session. But I want to thank you so very much for stopping by and being the unconventional, extraordinary that you are. For those of you listening, this is your unconventional professor. This is Loredana Paduran. Thank you for logging in for this, this podcast. Stand by for a very short version of the lesson of the day. And I will see you very soon. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back, everyone great interview with Ranjini, wasn't it? She is a truly remarkable young girl. Um, I think that's the, the thing that I love the best about my, my job, when I get to have these conversations with these people and I feel like there is still hope, which is what I said at the beginning. I am very hopeful that the utopian, the utopian universe of Star Trek is actually not that far off. So for the lesson of the day, I don't want to take too much of your time because this is A slightly longer podcast, but there were so many interesting things to talk about. But um, for for the lesson of the day, I want to go back to something that I said at the beginning of this podcast, which is how I think that artificial intelligence can actually help enhance humanity. I am preparing for a, a course in digital transformation for an executive education client. And I still see that a lot of people are highly concerned about the implications of technology, of digital transformation, of artificial intelligence on, on our daily jobs. And we keep talking about the future of the jobs and what those jobs will be. And I understand that many of our jobs will be transformed, will be disrupted. And disrupted sometimes is positive, it's sometimes negative. But the truth is that we have to be in a constant stage of transformation. If we are not in a constant stage of transformation, we cannot adapt And for those of us who cannot adapt, let me send you a picture of a dinosaur because I cannot really show you a real one anymore. The dinosaurs, even though they were the highest mammals roaming the Earth, they couldn't really adapt. So I I welcome uh, the advent of digital transformation. I welcome the arrival of new tools, of new technologies, of new opportunities to become better. But I also want to say that we have to learn how to use them for the right. And for the good of the people and especially for the good of the planet so what i would appreciate is if we start thinking about digital transformation about technologies of the future as a tool to solve the biggest problems humanity has today rather than increasing you know the 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 profit margin of these mega companies who are already taking advantage of every resource that we have without giving a lot back, why don't we take some of these transformative tools and use them for, I don't know, curing COVID, uh, dealing with climate change, reducing pollution, uh, minimizing the, the effects of, of, I don't know, uh, uh, plastic in the environment. There's so many things that we can do. And recently I watched an episode of in inside Bill's brain. I think that's the name of the the show on Netflix. And I was fascinated to see how Bill Gates wanted to tackle a massive, massive problem, which is uh, infant deaths in Africa. And as he started exploring this problem, he realized that the first thing he needs to do is build a toilet. I'll let that sink in for a second. So why don't you go and watch this? is (coughs) I'm sorry I haven't sneezed in seven months (laughs) since the lockdown started but um, like I said go and watch this uh, this um, Netflix show with uh, Inside Bill's Brain especially the first episode where he tackles massive massive world problems like um, early death in infants in Africa and he understands that the solution is to build a better toilet And now he's using all the technologies he has available to address this problem. So yeah, the lesson of the day is that enhanced technologies will only enhance our humanity if we know how to use them for the right and for the good of the people, and especially for the good of the planet. I will leave you here today. This is your highly unconventional professor. This is Loredana Padurian. Thank you once once again for joining me on this podcast. I am very, very flattered, I'm giddy, and I'm also very surprised when I hear so much positive feedback on this on this podcast. I really am hoping to keep this going if you guys like it. I'm looking for unconventional speakers. If you're one of them, feel free to shout me a message. You can find me on, on Instagram at prof underscore Loredana. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me pretty much everywhere. Just Google me. I trust you, you can find me. Have a great day, everyone, and I see you next time on the Unconventional Professor podcast.